Here we go. Today is Sunday, February 23rd, 2020, and this is episode 246 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good evening, Mr. Bell. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I I did come up with our uh, heavy metal rock band name, though. Yeah? So what's that? It's going to be Rage Against the Llama. Wow. That is fancy. I mean, it's just the jokes write themselves. Yeah, yeah. It's better than my, my idea of bullet for my cloud provider, but... Um, mm, yeah. All right. Yeah, you know, maybe that could be like the cover band version. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> or the tribute band version. Fair enough. So um, just a, a quick reminder that we're going to be at B-Sides Orlando on April 11th. Yes, we are, assuming my guts don't uh, decide to implode again. Yes. And so far, so good. So far, so good. I really hope that's not an annual event. Uh, It shouldn't be. But, you know, we humans look for patterns where they don't exist. True. Very true. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Also a reminder that the thoughts and opinions we express on the show are ours and do not represent those of our employers. So that's fair. Okay, so let's jump into some stories here. Uh, the first one from tonight comes from Dark Rating, and the title is Cybercriminals Swap Phishing for Credential Abuse and Vulnerability Exploits. Which is surprising to me, I gotta admit. Yeah, me too. So for a long time, we've kind of been on this incremental climb up the mountain where the, you know, the, 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 the main attack vector was you know, effectively social, social try that again social engineering against uh, end users and yep. and what we're seeing here now is that we appear to have started at least uh, uh, reversing that trend a little bit and uh, and now we're we're seeing much more uh, focus on credential attacks and on uh, ex- uh, vulnerability exploits yeah, you know, this article actually has a lot of really good data points. Now, to be fair, it's one organization's view, and we'll get into that. And no one organization probably has a perfect fidelity of what's going on out there. But it's it's interesting to see this trend. I mean, I would not have projected it that we would shift away uh, because phishing is so effective. And, and my belief system is in general, the bad guys are only as sophisticated and expend as much energy as they need to. So... Uh, it's interesting. I, you know, we can get into the stats and then we'll talk a little bit about takeaways, but I, I was surprised by this story for sure. Yeah. So they say, uh, fishing in, uh, in, in 2019 was 31% of attacks and, uh, and that was down from, from 50% the year before. So pretty significant drop there. Uh, exploits of known vulnerabilities is where I think the, the real, Apparent news is, which went from 8% to 30% uh, between 2018 and 2019. And I will say anecdotally, that does um, map with some of my experience and also some of this, you know, some of the, the, the news stories that we've, we've talked about over the past year. Yeah. And it, 
By the way, just to give credit out, this uh, comes out of a report from IBM's X-Force, uh, which used to be ISS's X-Force, which uh, you and I both used to work near. So that, uh, it's a fun. very different organization these days. But, hey, shout out to the old ISS folks. That's correct. All right. So they uh, they point out that um, in last year there were two mainly exploited uh, CVEs in, in these um, uh, the, the vulnerability exploit attacks. Uh, one was related to PowerPoint, the other one related to Word. So, you know, what? one thing that isn't clear to me, and I haven't really had a chance to dig into the details, but when, are, are they delineating phishing attacks? So email-born phishing attacks versus email-born uh, exploit attacks. Right, because how do you get to those executables? Right. Right. You know, when you think someone's coming at you with uh, exploits or credential stuffing or that sort of thing, you are thinking perimeter gear. Like we've seen this huge rise, and I think we got a story on it, in going after VPN concentrators that are on the edge. But if we're talking Microsoft Office applications, the payload or the vector, the initial vector still is something, uh, you know, and they don't, I don't think they do a good job of telling us what it is here uh, in terms of how that traffic got there. So it very well could be malicious born uh, attachments and emails. It could be drive by downloads on websites. It could be a lot of things, but uh, it could also potentially be internal. Once you've got a foothold, how are people going lateral in the environment? Yeah. Although, you know, it gets it gets sketchy at that point. Like, how do you how do you slice the stats up? Is that the same attack? Is that a new attack? Uh, you know, uh. it it is interesting that those two CBs they point to, um, which which date back to 2017, accounted again according, according to this report accounted for nearly 90 percent of uh, flaws that spam campaigns tried to exploit. So pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, and I mean these are old exploits yeah that have been patched for a long time and their endpoint this is what's interesting to me their endpoint utilities that aren't being patched it's not like as a server patch that you know oh we can't reboot that guy or we can't upgrade you know off of windows server 2003 or i mean these are just office patches which should have very little friction to be to be upgraded yeah and it's it's also interesting especially in the um in the context of Windows 2010, you know, where where the products are being treated more as a service rather than as a uh, you know as a as a point product, so you know in a I guess in a corporate environment you have a little more control over your destiny in terms of when you update and and how you update. But uh, in general, Microsoft is making patching at least endpoints much more uh, you know not only frictionless but kind of mandatory. Yeah, which I somewhat understand. Uh, you know, there's a part of me that pushes back against that, but there's a part of me of, hey, if it, we suck at patching. So if we remove the friction of patching, you know, this is kind of the model we're going to as an industry is auto patching and automatic. This stuff just happens in the background. I don't have to worry about it. Uh, you know, whether it's cloud provider or on-prem or whatever, it's software as a service kind of model. The downside is if somebody blows a patch and now you've got a problem, right? And that's always the pushback you hear from folks. I don't want to patch right away because what if they got a bad patch? And certainly that happens, but it's low likelihood in general. 
you know, I'm skewed because to me the the nail is vulnerabilities and the hammer is patching. So that's my mindset. So you know, operationally, I have to admit that that those operations guys don't want to take down servers and applications with a bad patch. They want to make sure it's good before they deploy it. I, I do understand that, but there's got to be a balance somehow, some way. Like I think it was Computer World kept putting out articles every time Windows Patch Tuesday came out of, turn off patching, because you don't want the patches right away. I'm like, I really don't <laughs> think that's good advice. Well, I, I, yeah. I, I, so, so I do think it makes sense to do some amount of diligence, right? Because there have been some bad patches in, in, in the past, but I think um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a fine line between diligence and, and recklessness. Yeah, I mean, we, we had a bad patch this this month, uh, Microsoft had pull a patch, so it happens. But what's the more what's the higher likelihood of impact to your organization? And this is this is the tough part. And I don't even know how to quantify this. Well, I'm sure there's people out there who do, and you probably do. But how do you quantify likelihood of a bad patch against the likelihood of an unpatched exploit hitting your organization? And you know, not all ex- not all vulnerabilities are exploited. Not all vulnerabilities are created equal, and there's certainly statistics out there of a relatively small number of vulnerabilities are actually exploited that come out every year. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe that's something that needs to go into that patching thinking: is what is the likelihood of this being exploited? Is it being exploited? Are we seeing stuff in the in the wild? Is there a metasploit? You know, module for this guy, that sort of stuff might go into your prioritization. But again, that that's a level of maturity and sophistication that a lot of organizations struggle with for lots of reasons. And, and it's easy to say, but tough to do. I have a, I have a more cynical view. I'm shocked. So, <laughs> so, so you know, you, when we started this show, I was the cynical one. It, tr- fair Just enough. For the record. It, you, you've rubbed off on me, I think. So, so, um, there's such a your mom joke there. I'm just gonna uh, leave it. Yeah, I thank just, you. I'm gonna leave it, but I want everyone to know I left it. Good. Much like I left your mom. <laughs> oh dear. Um, so, if you if you think about yourself as you know as as an operations person responsible for you know, for the the your fleet of workstations, however large that fleet is, the downside to you is screwing up. Right, and if you screw up, a, if you if you put out, if you push out a, pa- a bad patch, right, it you, know, you you have the potential of pissing off a very large number of people, and in addition to having you know potentially a whole lot of work that you have to do, and and, and as you pointed out, the contra is that there is some security issue that is uh, you know that's exploited, and for the most part, most. I suspect. I mean, obviously, incidents are very common, but um, you know, th- there's probably the average IT operations person hasn't experienced a massive, you know, a massive Sony style or or Saudi Aramco style, you know, total obliteration of their environment. And and in that case, or you know, th- that that kind of means that the types of attacks that they're probably dealing with are. You know, are, are are much smaller and maybe you know limited to individual people who are falling victim to the issue uh, that that could have been solved by a patch, and the blame for that goes elsewhere, right? It's the the people who managed the firewall didn't do a good job. The 
you know, the antivirus didn't catch it. The person shouldn't have clicked on that email or visited that website. And, and, and so I think there's a, a bit of a perverse incentive you know, for, for, um, for operations people. There's, there's only downside to patching too fast, I think, for them. Yeah, and this is the tough equation that organizations have to work out. You know, I don't know if there's any single right answer. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, you know, I'm biased. I admit it. I look at it from the vulnerability standpoint. Um, but you're right. There's, you could also argue, how do we build an organization that's resilient to not being patched? And I think that's a fair argument. Uh, and I think we struggle with that, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's obviously lots of um, lots that's been written, lots of options to increase the, 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 the integrity and security of, of, you know, in particular workstations, but also servers. But they all have a trade-off, and none of them are perfect. You know, we, we have whitelisting and, and different types of EDR, and, you know, again, but they, they all have... Uh, they all, all have trade-offs, and and uh, different attackers take great pl- great pleasure in bypassing uh, different ones. So, you know what I take great pleasure uh, in bypassing? Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next story comes from Business Insider. <laughs> the title is before we jump off this entirely. Yeah. Um, there were a couple other interesting takeaways about ransomware continues its climb up the ladder which we've talked about a lot from this report. Uh, and they're seeing a lot more uh, targets of operational technology. That's a, a term starting to come into vogue. You know, it basically means you know, physical equipment that's run by SCADA sort of stuff, you know, an ICS hardware, right. uh, that they're seeing a lot more attacks against that. Um, so... Mm-hmm. The other thing that they saw was a big rise in banking Trojans, which I thought was interesting. Uh, yeah, Again, bad guys want your money. Give me the money. Yeah, it is uh, unsurprising, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to go, up, go where, where the money is. But I think they also point out that there's kind of a blending of uh, an increased amount of blending between banking Trojans and ransomware. You know, sure. So... Uh, and and probably not very surprising because the same, you know, the same entry tactics and the same propagation tactics make sense for both uh, for both types of attacks. So, indeed. All right, now we'll move on to a story from BusinessInsider.com, and the title here is "Hackers Are Getting Better at Tricking People into Handling into Handing Over Passwords." Here's what to look out for, according to experts. Now, quick caveat. This particular story is really targeted more at the mainstream, uh, not necessarily those of us deep in the industry. So just take that with a grain of salt. Correct. So, so there was an there was another story that we didn't include, but I think it was um, from the IC three indicated that something like one point seven billion dollars in losses due to business email compromise were reported last year, which is you know while while a big number, I I would venture to bet the actual number is significantly higher from people who are organizations who are too embarrassed to report. Yeah, I would agree. So, um, you know, but the thing that, that I I thought was worth bringing up here was 
the really focused attention they uh, that this article brings to the concept of um, of turning a you know uh, an email based attack from an outsider to an insider perspective, right? And most organizations these days who are even a little bit sophisticated now do a pretty good job of tagging email is coming from external. You know, if it's if it's coming from outside of the organization to try to help uh, their employees you know, visually distinguish the source of a of an email is either coming from outside or inside. And the, the point of this uh, article here is that the attackers are... are are really adapting to that uh, that kind of protection, and, and the way they're doing that is they're, you know, they're targeting, you know, kind of casting a broad net, and they're trying to find w- just any way into the organization and compromising an internal email account, and then they try to pivot through the organization till they end up in a in a place where they can actually uh, leverage the email of, you know, the the the, um, the the victim that they've currently compromised to get to their intended target, whether that's you know for blackmail or to actually do the you know the the normal uh, attack against the director of finance or or what have you. But the you know the point is that they are trying really really hard f- to get to a place where these emails are originating from what appears to be a legitimate person inside the organization. Well, it is it is a legitimate internal account yeah. that's sending it. Absolutely. Yeah. So they find a little of a person, compromise them in some way and then start utilizing their account internally to go lateral against whoever their real target is. So they bypass that hey, it's coming from the outside thing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And this really points to the importance of um multi-factor authentication. Now, now that's not a complete savior because if they compromise workstations right and people are signed into their email it's you know it's entirely possible that that uh, the attackers just use the the signed in session but um it, it, at least it's a, a you know a, a really good uh, attempt at protecting and in as well it's certainly if you have email you know through a provider like um, office 365 or google like I'm not even sure you can have an account now without two-factor uh, on on some of those services. But if you don't, geez, like you know, you're at grave risk. Um, well, yeah, especially when we see so many folks reuse passwords. And right. this this is why I I just jumping off a little bit. The advice that came out a couple months ago, it might have been last year, about changing the password policies to no longer need people to update passwords saying you know it no longer made sense it, it would it reduced security i really struggle with that because of the password use reuse problem mm-hmm. if i could assure that my corporate users were not utilizing their their corporate account password anyplace else then i'd be more okay with that advice but it's very likely that if they're not changing their password on a regular basis, they're reusing the same password many places, and those external places get popped, and then they come after that with that username and password uh, on your corporate environment. So now you can fix that with things like password managers that allow you to have, you know, make it easier to create unique 
uh, passwords. You can fix that with two-factor authentication. You could do some other things. But um, this is why I really bristled at that advice, and I still struggle with it. Yeah, so so that was the, the updated NIST guidance. It was longer ago than a couple months. But um, I have this little gap. I know, I know. I get it. I get it. I was in jail or something. Yeah, yeah. So um, this, the one of the issues I have, I mean, certainly I, I agree with that, but much like in many, many things in life, uh, people have picked the parts of that guidance that they like and ignored the parts of the guidance they don't. And and as an example, you know, that that specific guidance is you know, kind of wrapped in the context of other controls, like other controls to make sure that none of the passwords are being reused or, or have been compromised or, you know, in out and available in the public. And, and, and also, um, I mean, there, there's a whole host of context that's intended to be wrapped around that guidance. But what people seem to latch onto is, oh my gosh, NIST says I don't, I shouldn't be forcing people to change their passwords anymore. Cause they complain and whine about that. And yeah. And it needs to be taken. Their advice needs to be taken holistically, not bits and pieces. Correct. And by the way, NIST is intended to apply to government systems. And everybody likes to, you know, follow them because it's, it's generally good guidance. Uh, but you know, again, it's uh, it, it's intended to operate in the context of the the broader context of the 853 framework. So um, just keep keep that in mind. Uh, so anyway, that I think that's that was the the main point I wanted to bring up about this is you know it's it's really becoming very dangerous to uh, to operate without two factor authentication. There's there's been lots and lots of uh, a very high-profile business email compromise cases recently with, with um, I forget which which local government just had a bunch of money stolen. It is an epidemic problem that we have to get under control. And, um, you know, that the, the attackers are, these, these, these are, these are very sophisticated uh, attacks that are intended to separate you and your organization from, from your money. So watch yourself. All right, moving on to the next story, which comes from Krebs on Security. And the title here is Hackers Were Inside Citrix for Five Months. So last year, you'll probably remember, and this I think happened right around Jerry, the time. Jerry, they're not called hackers anymore. They're called undocumented administrators. That's right. Sorry. Please. You okay. should show some compassion. <laughs> All right, so um, undocumented administrators were inside Citrix for five months. Um, That's th- better. Yeah, this was a this is a follow up from a story that that broke um, about this time last year, as I recall. And um, you know, at the time, there was not a lot of information. Uh, Citrix was was pretty tight lipped about it. Basically, said it really only affected our internal uh, business. Didn't affect. Um, you know our, our our customer commercial oper, uh, offerings, but I will tell you, you know, from from my vantage point, there was a whole lot of hand wringing going on about what kinds of exposures and and risks uh, trusting Citrix was uh, you know was imparting on 
different organizations. So I think there was a, there was some intuitive sense that it all was not right in 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 the world. But uh, so we have a little more detail, not a not a ton more detail. But the the news here is that Citrix sent out letters to some unknown number of people whose data was apparently stolen in in the breach and the the letter indicates that the hackers I'm sorry the undocumented administrators were active from October 13th 2018 through March 8th 2019 and those of you who you know remember this there was a a lot of hoopla because a kind of an up and coming security company uh, apparently notified I think the company is called Resecurity looking through here uh, notified Citrix back in December so like you know three and a half ish months before uh, that they apparently kicked the adversary out the undocumented administrators out I guess they they deported them right is that is that how you would characterize it no no they fixed the glitch in payroll oh. <laughs> okay got it Got they, it. They, they told them their their services were no longer required. Got it. They fixed the glitch. Yep. Okay. They were like subcontractors. Right. Right. Just without the paperwork. Got it. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, it's a lot easier to fire them. That's true. You just block block them at the firewall, right? Yeah, and then they don't file for unemployment. They don't. You know, it, uh, just it's just easier. If only there were a way to 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 turn their, you know, their um their efforts to to good you know mm. like crowdsourced system administration well you could say that some of the ransomware guys who are exfiltrating data are doing free cloud backups for you it's true it, 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 in, in a way i guess that's true yeah i this is probably why i will never get a job again carry on <laughs> fair enough uh so so the um again the if we go back to the you know the initial uh, notification or the initial reporting on this incident, as, as the article points out here, uh, the the FBI told Citrix that that the uh, apparently Iranian uh, adversary entered their network through password spraying, which um, is yet another reason why it is very important to use. A multi-factor authentication. Uh, this, in this case, to get into your uh, to your environment, which also, by the way, points out how um, that the perimeter is in fact not dead. What? Right. Not dead yet. Not dead yet. It's not going to get on the cart. I think the the perimeter is going to get up and go for a walk. <laughs> it's feeling stone fine. cold dead in a moment. <laughs> how many years have we been hearing the perimeter's dead? I started doing security stuff in the 90s, so it's been since, I mean, it, it was being uh, said back then. Was that the 1890s? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, to be fair, the perimeter is certainly weakened, and the perimeter is a lot more complex than it used to be, and, but anyway, I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, it's, it's apparently not dead, hmm. but, but it needs to factor. Like more cowbell. Well, yes, yes, just like more cowbell. Uh, so, I will say yeah. the youngins in our audience aren't getting any of these jokes, and we're being boomers. Yeah, just um, just search YouTube for "needs more cowbell" and and you will have some entertainment for a little while. Uh, 
and and also uh, search for uh, f- for I make gold records or gold plated records. That's also a good one to to watch. Christopher Walken was just the bomb on SNL. Anyway, I completely derailed your train of thought. I'm yeah, sorry. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> Back. Hey, you keep inviting me back. I don't know why. Back, so. <laughs> back on track here, Mr. Callet. Yes, so sir. Pa- so password spring is, you know, is for those who I, I think everybody should know what it is, right? But um, there's, there's just, as, as uh, we talked about two articles ago in the, uh, actually one of the stats we didn't talk about was the number of uh, of records that were breached in like 2000. And 19 was a, a record number, something like eight and a half billion, of which the vast majority were authentication credentials. You know, basically, typically usernames and passwords. And and so what what's in vogue, especially amongst the apparently super advanced uh, adversaries, is to actually take those uh, dumps of credentials and and quite literally spray them at um, you know different authentication systems like VPNs and and whatnot and apparently you, you it works right and this is by the way one an, another reason why I think it is important in the context of a business uh, especially if you're not using two-factor but I mean you really should be using two-factor uh, to, to ensure that you're changing passwords because if you know th- those those credentials in those dumps, they you know they get out there and they're there forever. And if you're not, your people aren't changing them, eventually someone's going to stumble on it, and that is um, is really difficult, by the way, to defend against these these password spray attacks because in the past they would you know they would um, hammer on a single user ID, which would then result in that ID being you know at least temporarily disabled. Uh, but now what the the hotness is is that all, um, the, the, they spread out the logins across many different potential user IDs coming from many different sources. So, that, so it's not easy to detect and block, right? You know those source IPs, uh, you know, without potentially impacting real people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You, yeah. you know, thousands, I mean, thousands of source could, IPs. You could get a statistical anomaly detection of hey we've had a lot more rejected passwords pop in the past you know two hours so you'd be aware of the attack going on but again same thing unless you're willing to shut down those accounts or those servers or that service uh, it's almost too late you've got to have two-factor or something to really defend that so i think you know i I think the takeaway for me is anything facing the internet should be two-factor minimum yeah absolutely Ideally, fourteen factor. Well, I mean, you can't be too too secure, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it to you to decide what fourteen factors you want to use. Is <laughs> a uh, an exercise left to the listener, <laughs> <laughs> as they say. All right, the last last uh, thing we have is actually linked from the Krebs story, and that this is a a report from clear sky security and and this is about the uh, the fox kitten campaign and it has a really cute picture of a cat with snow on it and hence we covered it hence we covered it. i mean look if you want us to talk about your security report you cannot go wrong with a cat picture uh, i'm just 
I'm just saying. It's true. It's, it's true. And that is not a euphemism. We mean it. Straight up feline. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, black ones, white ones, you know, tuxedos, torties. Doesn't really matter. You know, tabbies. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We go always when it comes to cats. Correct. Correct. I mean, hardcore. So, um, so the, uh, the, the deal here is this fox kitten campaign is uh, kind of to net it out. Uh, uh, apparently, the Iranians, uh, who have a couple of different threat actor groups that I guess uh, this, this particular report uh, links together through common infrastructure and some common tools, uh, but the uh, you know the the interesting aspect of this is the uh, the, the the common intrusion um, initial intrusion method, which is through VPNs. And and so the uh, the, the threat actor here is exploiting what they're calling you know what they're characterizing as one day vulnerabilities, things that have already been patched. But the the actor here apparently is is pretty adept at uh, exploiting these VPN services sometimes within hours of the, the, the um, you know, the issue being disclosed and a, a patch being released. So it appears that in almost all cases that, that I've been able to tell they're, they're targeting the, the threat actor here is targeting VPN devices that have, that have patches for the vulnerability they're, they're using. Uh, but in off, oftentimes it's, just not enough time has gone by for uh, for the patches to get applied. And by the way, you know, it's a security appliance, and we don't we all know that we really don't have to patch security appliances. So it's probably going to be a reliable source of uh, of entry for the threat actor for a long time to come. In in uh, you know, at least that's what I've been told. Patch velocity, it's a tricky tricky concept. Correct. So they, um, so so the the actor here is targeting Pulse Secure VPN, Fortinet VPN, Global Protect by Palo Alto, and then they also go on to indicate that they anticipate, but it sounds like they haven't actually seen it. Uh, the the threat actor here using the the recent uh, Cisco, or sorry, not Cisco, the C- recent Cit- Citrix Netscaler uh, vulnerabilities, which probably in hindsight is not going to be a great um, you know, great thing for them because, well, they've all been compromised already. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, there's that, right? <sighs> so yeah. By the way, if you have a if you have a Netscaler that uh, you haven't patched or applied the mitigation to, y- you you have an issue, like a, a big issue. But as far as we know, just to go back a story, the compromise of Citrix had nothing to do with the discovery and exploitation of that vulnerability. They were independent events, but it is kind of interesting. It it is interesting, and some part of me, you know, the skeptical um, pattern seeking part of me wonders: Are they really completely independent, or did they, you know, did someone yeah, steal I mean, the source code? And exactly, if you could get the source code, you have a much better chance of finding a vulnerability. Sure. Yeah. So. Uh, so at that point, they're really just undocumented source code analysis tools for you. That's very true. Tools is a good word for them. <laughs> uh, so you know the the the, uh, the report here goes into pretty excruciating depth on 
the uh, the different tools that the threat actor uses and, and goes into some detail about how they they move laterally. But what they do not do, and this is a, a bit of frustrating for me, is they don't very clearly tell you how they turn the compromise of a VPN appliance into lateral movement within the network. So um, I, I suppose in certain circumstances, well, I, I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. I, that's the, that's the, the thing that is uh, unclear to me. So maybe there's some trust between those VPN appliances and other uh, authentication schemes like Active Directory that they're leveraging. But I, I, you know, I didn't read every word on the, in the report, but I didn't see any reference to how that initial uh, step is, is taken. Um, but they do, they do do a lot of um, kind of the normal types of lateral movement, privilege escalation type stuff. Uh, using using uh, you know a mix of homegrown tools and open source uh, tools, uh, you know having said that, nothing they do here is particularly sophisticated, right? Uh, now, have, notwithstanding what I just described, we don't know how they're getting into you know onto patient zero inside the network, but um, you know beyond that, it's it's pretty standard fare that should be somewhat easily detectable and preventable through a lot of the kind of the normal stuff that we've talked about in the past, things like laps and, and, you know, the properly designed active directory environments, the, um, what used to be called red forest. I forget the new term for it, uh, privileged administrator workstations and, and so on will, will help, um, you pretty significantly. Plus also things like, you know, um, Defender ATP or some your favorite EDR software can probably pick up and stop um, most of these types of activities. Well, yeah, but you know the other thing about these VPN concentrators is they often have amazing amount of internal privileges through firewalls, so they're a very trusted device. It's it's a nasty uh, exploit vector to, to get it to foothold on because you can pivot into almost anything from a, at least a, a traffic standpoint. Which, you know, would, would be a problem if, if the, uh, the perimeter was not dead. Right. So since, the, since the perimeter is dead, it's really not an issue. Um, see, no, I don't know. I don't see. No. Yeah. I mean, the perimeter's dead, so it's, it's all good. Uh, I, have you had a stroke? <laughs> yeah, I think I, sometimes I wonder. Uh, anyhow, any any uh, anything else that you, uh, you you picked up from this thing? No, I think I think you hit it. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. As always, I'm always skeptical because I don't see the raw data. But I think it's always tough to tie it to a specific nation state. You just never know. That's just my only caveat. You know, they say that the Iranians maybe maybe. But, well, they do say it's a it's a medium high level of confidence. yeah, which is fair. They, and I really did appreciate that they put in their confidence level on that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we also see a lot of folks who outsource their tools and techniques. And uh, I'm not going to get off on the uh, on that rant today, but it's it's just really tough to, to know for sure. Um, and it's also tough once you know what are you going to do. How does that change your decision making? What does that mean? You know, if it's Iran or, but I think 
at a geopolitical level and at an executive level, being able to say, hey, a nation state came after us gives you some interesting cover that, you know, Billy down the street in his basement came after us doesn't give you. Yeah, I, I suspect there's probably some other some other benefits. I, I, I anticipate, and again, I, this is just my hypothesis, that if the actor is, let's say, organized crime, you know, if you if you detect them and 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 kick them out, they're probably going to go find someone else. But if it is in fact in you know an, an actual APT nation state, and and they for whatever reason really want what you have on your network, they're probably going to keep coming. And so so from that perspective, I think maybe there is some um, you know s- some benefit and also. If you know who, or if you have a hypothesis on who it is, you you may be able to see or, or you do a little bit of research and figure out well what other kinds of tactics is this group known to use, and can we in, you know increase our level of monitoring on that you know by the the security uh, purist in me says well you should be looking for those things anyway, but um, but maybe there's some uh, you know, some some additional heightened sensitivity you can enable there fair enough so anyway that is the show for today i actually have to go get on a plane soon so i'm so sorry good luck (laughs) thank you i appreciate everyone's uh uh, time and and attention uh thank you all uh, to our patreon donors you guys are awesome yes we do really appreciate it. Thank you. Especially sticking with us through my extended medical issues. Yeah, yes, indeed. But I got better. But he's all better. Yep, he's not dead yet. He doesn't have to get on the cart. You keep trying. I keep saying no. <laughs> okay, mister trying to get me to undergo a soul transplant. I don't know what that was about. But anyway, we will. We hope to see you in um, in. Orlando on on uh, April 11th. If you're going to be in town, give, look us up, say hi. And uh, with that, we will talk again soon. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye. Take care. Yeah.